I want you to look with me, if you will, to the, to the 40th uh, chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series entitled Incomparable. And uh, it simply is a reference to the nature of God because incomparable means matchless. It simply means the same as a word that sounds like it, uncomparable. There is nobody like Him. He is unique in all of His glory and splendor. He is, uncom- he is uncomparable, incomparable, matchless. Matter of fact, our text for this series has been the 40th chapter of Isaiah, beginning in about verse number 12. The Lord asked of Himself several questions, one of which is in the 25th verse, Isaiah 40 and 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. He is saying of himself by asking that question. He's making a statement by the rhetorical question that he asked. I am incomparable. You will find nobody to compare to me in my splendor, my size, my majesty, my power, and my glory. The first sermon in the series was titled, Image is Everything. Because the way you see God, the way you perceive God, your concept or perception of Him impacts every area of your life. A small or limited view of God will equal a status quo life. An expansive view of God makes room for a life full of faith-filled adventure. Because everything changes when you see God in His size, His expanse, in His majesty. When we see Him for how big He really is, we dare to dream big dreams, we dare to pray audacious prayers, and we dare to attempt the impossible on His behalf. Last week, the sermon was titled, Big. And we simply took some time to look into astronomy and science and study the stars. We looked into the universe and our little neighborhood in the universe called the Milky Way Galaxy and then our little cul-de-sac in our neighborhood called our solar system and we were able to understand just how massive our God is. The fact that all of that came out of His mouth at 186,000 miles per second at the speed of light. He said, let it be and it was. And I don't know about you, but I left here last week humbled at the majesty, size and splendor of my God. Next week, the sermon title in the series is going to simply be superlative. Because God is the superlative of everything you could possibly call Him. You read in Paul's writings in the New Testament, one of his favorite phrases is the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. The glory of God is enough description about his majesty, but Paul goes on to say the riches of his glory. That is a superlative statement that adds a description on top of a description. So we're going to look at God, all things superlative, next week. He is the superlative of everything you could possibly call him. But today it is magnified. The Bible, in multiple places, calls on us to magnify the Lord. In Psalm 69 and 30, the psalmist says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. I believe it is a mark of the true child of God that they long to magnify the God of their salvation. And I question somebody that has no desire to bring glory to God, has no desire to magnify God if they've genuinely encountered Him as the God of their salvation. Psalm 34 and 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt 
his name together. That was the heart's cry of every Old Testament saint, and I believe the longing of every true Christian heart. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking about eating and drinking during the communion meal, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, let it all... Let it do it all for the glory of God. In other words, everything you do, do it in a way that God might be magnified. Because if you've met the living Son of God and have joined yourself to Christ by faith, then your heart will join with the heart of the Apostle Paul, who said in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20, As always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. In the way I live or in the way I die, let Christ be magnified in me. So I believe it is the mark of a true child of God, a Christ follower, to long to magnify the God of their salvation and His Son, Jesus Christ. The word magnify simply means to make something bigger. But how do you enlarge an already immeasurable God? I mean, the Bible tells us to magnify God. And magnify, in its strictest sense, means to enlarge something. It means to make something bigger. So how are we supposed to make God any bigger than He already is? There are different ways to look at the concept of magnify. Because God's already beyond comprehension. So how can we possibly make Him larger? In reality, you can't. And our worship doesn't make Him any larger. He isn't any bigger after our worship service or your private worship time than He was before you started. When it comes to worship and magnifying God, we need a shift in our thinking and a shift in our perception. Because worship doesn't change the nature of God. Worship changes the nature of the worshiper. Because as we truly magnify Him and as we truly worship Him, our perspective of life and our perspective of God changes. And as we've said from the beginning, when we see Him for who He really is, everything in life is different. David said, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. So the word magnify can be used in a telescopic sense, and it can be used in a microscopic sense. It can mean make something appear greater than it is, as with a microscope or a magnifying glass. Any of you that were little ornery as children, remember getting the magnifying glass and looking at the little creatures on the sidewalk that were too big to be studied with the naked eye, and then you tried to align that magnifying glass with a ray of sun to see what would happen to those little critters. Um, We took a magnifying glass to take something was small to make it appear bigger than it really is. We do the same thing under a microscope on a slide. The little pieces of our body, our cells, and other items that are too small to the naked eye are brought where they can be seen. They are small, but a microscope makes them appear bigger than they really are. That's what uh, microscopic magnification is. But that's not what the Bible is talking about because there's another arm of what it means to magnify God. It means to make something that seems small or might appear insignificant to be seen for as great as it really is. And that's what our telescopes do. They look into this magnificent universe that we studied in detail last week and they pull those things that seem distant and small close enough for us to understand how big they really are and to see it for how great that it really is. 
And that's what it really means to magnify God. So there are two kinds of magnifying. Microscopic magnification and telescopic magnification. The one makes a small thing bigger than it is. The other makes a big thing begin to be seen for as big as it really is. When David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he does not mean I will make a small God look bigger than he really is. He means I will make a big God begin to appear as big as he really is. We are not called as worshipers to be microscopes. We are called as worshipers to be telescopes. We are not con artists trying to make our product appear better than it really is so people will buy into it because there is nothing or no one superior to our God. We are called to love Him, to see His greatness for what He is, and through our lives begin to make that greatness appear. Because the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. To feel, to think, and to act in a way that will make God appear for as great as He really is. Our individual lives of worship are telescopes for the world to finally see Him in all of His splendor. And the church then would be an observatory, a place where all of these telescopes come together to magnify God. And then you have an observatory, a place where we take a God that seems distant and far and incomprehensible, but through our worship, as we magnify Him, we bring Him close. He comes near. We are made aware of His presence so that He can be touched and felt, experienced, and understood. Paul tells us that the majesty of God is so pervasive that God has placed His fingerprints everywhere. And even if through science you simply study creation, it will point to you the existence of a Creator so that man is without an excuse simply by looking at the majesty of God in all of creation. And that's what we did last week. He says it in Romans 1, 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. But listen to the impact of sin on our perception of His majesty. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God's presence and image ought to be obvious to all of us. His size, His splendor, His majesty are so great that it shouldn't be overlooked, but it is. Due to the sinful insensitivity of our hearts and the forgetfulness of our hearts, many of God's greatest attributes and most awesome loving deeds pass in one of our ears and out the other, not even causing the slightest ripple of emotion within our hearts. Seeing, we do not see. And hearing, we do not hear. And when our hearts come to this callous condition, when we can't see God for who He really is, we need to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Because in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, Paul said, God, will you open their eyes to see the hope that is in you? Will you open their eyes to see the inheritance that is in the saints? Will you open their eyes to see the immeasurable power that rests in God? We need to beg God. If, if, if we can't see Him, if He seems small, if He feels distant today, we need to begin to pray, open my eyes, God, to see you for who you really are. And even when God graciously responds and He removes the scales from our eyes so that we are moved by His greatness, we're still prone to forget what He's shown us. 
we're still prone to forget the glory of what we've seen. I mean, how many of you, I mean, I've had these moments where um, I've been in a time of prayer or uh, fasting or uh, just an unplanned moment, spontaneous moment, where the presence of God gets so close and near. I can feel Him. I weep in His presence. Prayer is alive and close. The Word of God is alive. And I'm in this season of, uh, I'm overcoming. My faith is high. God is close. And I think, man, I'll never go back. I'll never have a point where my faith is depleted and I'm discouraged. But all of us wind up coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. And we come back to reality and our heads fall low again. Life comes, uh, uh, preoccupations zap our spiritual energy. We lose our faith and we find ourselves back again. And we often forget what God has shown us in the high places, in those intense moments of prayer. It happens to all of us. We forget the evidences of what God has done in our life, much less the evidences in Scripture that testify of the greatness of God. Maybe that's why David preached to himself in Psalm 103 when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and do not forget His benefits. David is preaching to himself, reminding himself to not forget the greatness of God, to rise up and magnify the Lord and call Him what He really is. We need to do what Asaph, another psalmist, did in Psalm 77. Asaph said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? And the answer is no one. He is incomparable. As individuals, we are to be telescopes that magnify the Lord. People who make the greatness of God to be seen as great as it really is. As a church, we are to be an observatory full of telescopes that are bringing glory to God. We're to be a place where the incomparable, seemingly incomprehensible God can be brought close through our worship. And as we magnify in worship, He can be felt, He can be studied, He can be learned about, He can be experienced, He can be understood. This is what it means for a Christian to magnify the Lord. Remember earlier, I I, I stated the statement from Psalm 34 and 3. The psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Worship is less about enlarging God because that's impossible. It is more about enlarging your perception of God. Our worship doesn't change God's nature. It changes the heart and the perception of the worshiper. I mean... How can God actually get any bigger? He is no more expansive after you worship Him than before. But as we worship, we put our focus totally on Him. Our perception of Him begins to change. The nearer we get to Him, the bigger He appears in our own eyes and in our own sight. And when we begin to see God for who He really is in His greatness and in His power, our perspective of everything else in life begins to change in comparison to how big He is. We sang an old song just a moment ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. As your heart 
is focused on Christ, as your attention is fixed upon God and He is brought near to you, the things of earth that weight you down all of a sudden begin to be overshadowed in contrast to His splendor and His greatness. I've heard it all my life that life is made up of 10% of what happens to you and 90% about how you react. So it's 10% of what happens and 90% of attitude. We have little control over what happens to us, but we control our attitude over everything that happens to us. And if we choose when life happens to us to turn our eyes on Jesus and acknowledge that God is in sovereign control of our lives, we will see the situation through His eyes and from His perspective. And if we draw close to Him, there is not any circumstance we face, no matter how how big or seemingly insurmountable it might be, they will all pale in comparison to who our God is, how big He is, and how capable He is in your life. So we have a choice today. We're either going to magnify the mountain or we're going to magnify our God. One is big, but the other is bigger. It is our choice. Anything that we get close to appears bigger in our eyes. I want you to do something with me. Just take your, take your smallest finger, your pinky, and I want you to hold it out in front of you, between you and I. And I imagine if you hold it like I am right here, you can still see me. Okay? There is an object, but it is away from you. It's distant, so it's not blocking your view. But close one eye and bring that pinky up till you just about stick it in your eye. Don't poke yourself in the eye and sue me. Just stick it, stick it up there. Where, and I can't see all of you like I could because what was obstructing my view that wasn't obstructing my view, when it became near, it limited my perception. It captured my attention. It caught hold of everything in my life. The same concept holds true with the things we face in life. Whatever situation or circumstance that is close to us is going to appear really big and it's going to overwhelm us. If God seems small to you today, it may be because He is distant from you. It's not that He's moved over or away from you. Maybe the cares of your life have caused you to pursue other passions. He may be small because you have made Him distant in your life. Let me, let me you know, I remember I grew up in a small farm town and, and uh, this was back before, you know, you could have bucket seats in a truck. But most trucks, uh, you know, when I was a teenager started driving, still had the option of bench seats. And all of us guys wanted bench seats because there was nothing cooler than having your girl sit beside you when you rode around town on Friday night. And bucket seats messed all that up because sitting on a console is not that comfortable. And so we wanted bench seats. And so um, back in the day when everything was bench seats and, and uh, there was an older couple who... I uh, had been married about 50 years and they were driving through town and, and still driving their old car with a bench seat. And they saw a young couple in an automobile and she was sitting right up close to him as he drove through town. And, and uh, the wife, the, the wife of the older couple had been married some, you know, nearly 50 years, said to her husband, I remember when we used to go through town like that. I remember those days. And, the, and she said, I kind of miss those days. I wish we still did that. And the husband said, well, honey, I'm the one that's been driving the last 50 years. I'm not the one that scooted over. <laughs> I think that's what God would say to us today. 
I'm the one that's been driving the last 10 years. I'm not the one that scooted over. If I seem small in your life today, it's probably because there's too much distance. Because anything that's closer to you is going to appear larger to you. And if he appears small in your perception, it may be because you've let some other object in life... The mountain has been magnified instead of God. The circumstance has been magnified instead of the Savior. And it is blocking your view. You need to begin to push the mountain to the side and pull your God closer. Because whatever is closer is going to appear larger. And I can promise you, he's been in the driver's seat the whole time. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't scooted over. And it is easy in life to let life's perceptions or or life's preoccupations and drift begin to happen so that without even knowing it, we gently begin to scoot over and wonder why we can't see God for as big as he really is. If God seems small, it may be because he has become distant. Unfortunately, so many times we perceive God as smaller than He is because we've allowed our overwhelming circumstances and situations to close in around us. We failed to spend time with Him. We failed to press in and get close to Him. And we've magnified the mountain more than Jesus. But imagine if we were as close to God as we possibly could be so that all we could see is Him. How much different would our perspective of Him and our perspective of everything else? The closer we get to God, the bigger He will be and the smaller everything else will be. Our faith will be big, our outlook will be optimistic and any challenge we face will be conquerable because God is big in our sight, He is big in our hearts. Remember when the Apostle Peter was asked by Jesus to step out of the boat and walk on the water? I mean, what happened? As long as his gaze was fixed on Jesus, he floated on the water like a buoy. The moment he started worrying about the noise of the storm, the high winds and the high waves, he immediately began to sink. Listen. Whatever you magnify captures your attention. Whatever you magnify steals your energy. Whatever you magnify gets your focus and ultimately will get your worship. What are you focusing on in your life the most right now? Is it the lack of resources? Is it the physical complication? Is it the relational strain? Is it the trouble at work? What is keeping you awake at night? What is robbing you of your energy throughout the day? What are you magnifying the most in your life? What are you struggling with? The circumstances or the Savior because whatever you magnify captures your attention when Peter took his eye off of Jesus he was magnifying Jesus that was all he saw and he got out of the boat nothing else mattered when all of a sudden the winds and the waves became closer to him and blocked his view of Jesus he began to magnify the circumstance more than the Savior he began to sink his faith shrunk and his fear grew but his eyes were put back on Jesus again. His hope sprung anew in his heart again. And all of a sudden, he came back to the surface of the water like a buoy. His faith was big again, and fear was small again, simply by what he was magnifying in that moment of his life. It is important that you focus on the right thing, regardless of what is going on around you. There was a four-year-old girl who was asked to say prayer over dinner one night. And this was her very simple but profound prayer. Dear Jesus, bless the food, bless mommy and daddy, bless grandma and grandpa, and God, take care of yourself too, because without you we're all sunk. Amen. In her innocent expression, 
she wrapped up a profound truth. We are nothing without Him. Everything changes when God steps into the picture. We need to determine to magnify the Lord and exalt Him in our life regardless of what's going on. The bigger we see God, the bigger we pray, and the bigger we pray, the greater the answers we pray. And I said it and I'll continue to say it, especially in the prayer series we're going to start in September. Small prayers are an insult to a big God. And the bigger you see Him, the bigger you pray, and the bigger your answers will be. But one of the reasons... Our circumstances appear to be so large is that we think too highly of ourselves. We have magnified our own self-importance. We have become the center of our own universe. One of the amazing things about our humanistic, egocentric, self-absorbed culture is that it has made wallowing in self-pity the norm. Playing the victim is more common than being the survivor. Blaming somebody for my trouble is more popular and shirking responsibility is all too common. If we want to see God for who He is, we have to get our egos out of the way. We must become smaller so that He can become bigger. We may be our own worst problem. We may be in our own way. If you look at what God is asking of us as His created beings. I mean, what is His most significant demand of us? What does an all-sufficient God who owns and controls everything demand from the creation, the creatures that He has created? He demands that we cease to be great in our own eyes. Because as long as we are great in our own eyes, we will never see Him for as big as He really is. The danger of our egocentric I-everything generation is that we have elevated the place of man in our world to so much that he is blocking our view of God. Why do you need a God when man is all you need? If man is that ingenuity, is full of that much ingenuity, that much talent, that much, why do you need a God? And so when you don't see your own need, when you don't understand your own frailty, you will never see God for who He is. David powerfully says this in his famed psalm of repentance in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God or the sacrifices acceptable to God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In Mary's prayer that I read to you a moment ago, He has pushed aside the proud. He has pulled the mighty off of their thrones. But the hungry He has fed. The poor He has responded to. Those that have thought themselves rich, He has not heard them. But those who are broken and contrite, those are the acceptable offerings of praise that He's responded to. Those who understand their own frailty. Jesus said it. I didn't come into the world for the healthy because the healthy don't need a physician. It is the sick who need a doctor. Jesus has nothing to do for those who insist they are well. He demands something great. And that demand is that we admit we are not great. That's 
bad news to the arrogant and the proud because they will be inhibited from ever seeing God for who He is until they are humbled. But for those that are humbled and broken, those words for those that are poor and understand they will never be good enough and of themselves, the fact that God responds to the poor and the broken and the downtrodden is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only then that we can truly magnify Him when we have humbled ourselves and pour, understand that He has poured into our empty hearts a love that we have never known. Peter, the great apostle who thought a lot about himself early on, who was humbled in that sinking experience and that denying the Lord, and he came to reality. And this is what that humbled man said in 1 Peter 5. All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety or cares on Him because He cares for you. The promise of verse 7 that you can cast everything on the Lord is under the understanding in the earlier two verses, as we become humbled, as we become less, we will have the confidence to see God big enough to be trusted with our cares. As long as our own self-importance is blocking our view of God, we will never trust Him enough to cast all of our cares on Him. When we become less and pull our own self-importance and egos out of the way, we can see Him for who He really is. We understand in His majesty and splendor, He can be trusted and then we can cast all of our cares Upon him. John the Baptist said it best in John 3.30. He said, He, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. That's what it means to magnify God. So the nature of true worship is not making him larger. That's impossible. But rather it's exalting his name, his image, his person, his power above us above our circumstances. It's pulling Him close enough to be studied and experienced for who He really is so we can shift our perspective away from the mountain onto the greatness of our Maker. Psalmist, Psalm 34.3 again, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. And then again in Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of God with a song I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. I um, I intentionally finished early today because I want us to magnify the Lord. And I know you say, Pastor, we just did that. And I know that some of us a moment ago sang the words of a lot of song. And despite the interruptions of the power surge that happened and all, we, the presence of God came here and we sang these words, turn your eyes on Jesus. But I wonder... Did we say words with our head, but the perspective shift didn't happen in our hearts? We know God is bigger than our problems, but yet in our hearts we're still heavy, heavy with our finances, heavy with our needs. And, and listen, listen, I don't want you in any way 
to think that as I am elevating the nature of God, that I am diminishing the significance of whatever it is you're faced with. There are people in this congregation who are struggling with the latter stages of cancer. I would never minimize that. There are people who are struggling financially and on the verge of losing their homes. I would never minimize that. There are people who have more month than they have money. I would never minimize that. Relational strains, marriages of 20 and 30 years that without a miracle aren't going to make it. I would never minimize that. But what I want us to understand, that all of those things, as significant as they are, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, they begin to be overshadowed by His greatness. They're overshadowed by His splendor. It's not that He ignores them, He does. But as long as we're trying to worry with them and they're stealing and we're using sideways energy trying to do something about them, we're expending energy that we could be magnifying them. We have made the mountain the center of our attention and He's asking, will you magnify me? Or are you going to magnify your mountain? Because if you can pull me close, I'll overshadow your mountain. I will be what Amos said. I will be your burden bearer and you don't have to carry that load all by yourself. So I want us to make that shift in our hearts this morning. I want you, to the best of your ability today, to take whatever it is that is obstructing your view, whatever that object may be, relationship, sickness, finances, it's keeping you from seeing Him for who He is. He appears small because there's something in your way. I want you to, with a choice of your will and an act of faith, I want you to push the mountain down. You stole enough of my energy. You cost me enough sleep. You've wasted enough of my time. And all of that worry hadn't done anything to fix the problem. So I'm going to push it to the side for a moment. And I'm going to bring God near. I'm going to turn my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to turn my heart towards heaven. And I'm going to see God for who He really is. My worship isn't going to make Him bigger at all. He's never going to be bigger than He is already. Because He's too big to comprehend now. My worship is going to shift my perspective. My prayer is going to shift my perspective. And the object that has stolen my passion and my energy, whatever that is, is going to be pulled aside. It's going to grow dim in contrast to His splendor, His glory, His love, His grace, His power. Paul's prayer for the Corinthians. God, will you open their eyes to see the hope that is in Christ? Open their eyes to see the riches of their inheritance. Open their eyes to see the immeasurable power that is in Christ. That's my prayer for you today. May your worship be a perspective shift. We've got a few minutes on purpose. I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? I want us to sing this old song again. And I want you to apply this word to your heart. Come on, sing this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Come on, pull that object out of your way that's blocking your attention. in His wonderful face. Thank you, Jesus. And the things of earth will
time. Come on, magnify the Lord, not the mountain. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow be obedient to the kind of gentle tug you know the only way I know how to compare it is when my kids were little and they used to grab my coat on Sundays and I could feel them behind me I feel a little bit of that tug on my heart this morning that there may be somebody here that scooted over maybe you didn't even mean to you know God's still in control you know he's still in the driver's seat of your life but through the years maybe through the last several weeks There's been something that has preoccupied your attention, got your energy, stolen your focus more than Him. And there's kind of been this, what I call drift, that happens. and Maybe it's gone on for years. Some people would use that really hard word, backslidden. Maybe that describes where you are. Maybe a kinder way of saying that is that you've just scooted over. And today, I really sense in my heart that God is saying to some of us that have drifted or maybe just outright backslidden. He's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's not mad. He's not angry. He misses you. He's hurt. He wants to renew acquaintance again. He wants you more than you want Him. And there is nothing that you've done that could permanently place distance between you and Him. If you will no longer magnify the sin, no longer magnify the distance, no longer magnify the addiction or whatever it is that separates you from Him, He wants you to know He wants you back. He's running faster towards you than you are for Him. And He's just asking you today, surrender. Stop running. Let me back in. Let me be in control again. I want it to be the way it used to be or the way it's never been for you before I know in my heart there are people listening to me that have scooted over today is the day you scoot back close you get near to him so that he appears as big as he really is in your life past can be washed underneath the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed and forgiven today is fresh start and new beginning you know what this is what I want us to do for all of us I sensed in my heart coming into this service. I didn't know I was going to say that this morning when I came into the service, but I, I, I felt like this is the way God wanted me to end the service. We have a couple minutes. I ended a little early. The altars are going to be open today in the transition between the service. And I believe with all of my heart that some of you are carrying a sack of burdens so heavy that you're tired, you're weary. Pastor Bear sang it in the first service. Leave it there. Bring it. Take it to the Lord and leave it there. I really believe that some of you need more than just a good sermon and walk out of here and say, I'm going to do this. That's a great thought. But you need to physically respond to what the Lord is saying in your heart. 
And you need to lay it there. Relational strains, sickness, finances, or whatever object that has stolen your attention and made God appear smaller in your life. And you need to physically lay it before the Lord and walk away from it today so that you can truly magnify the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing. Pastor Bear is going to begin to sing. Others are going to walk out of the building. But if you're somebody in this room that says, Pastor, I need to act on what God is doing in my heart. And I need to take this to the altar and leave it there so that God can be seen as big as He really is. Whether it's sin or circumstance or whatever. Then I'm just going to ask you to let this be the place where you come and kneel. I'm not calling for the prayer team today. It's between you and God. Whether it's one of you or ten of you or more. Or nobody at all. I just feel like I need to make this opportunity available. So while I speak this blessing, I want you to even begin to come, if that's you, before we end and people begin to exit the building today. Father, I pray you'll give courage. Let there be a a line drawn in the sand. People that are sick and tired of these things stealing their sideways energy that have made God smaller than He really is. Today I pray our worship. That this church has become an observatory for people to experience you and understand you for who you really are. And I ask that this altar be a supernatural and very symbolic place for people to come lay that symbol or that object, whatever it is that has stolen their attention. And I pray that you will be magnified into the rightful place in their hearts and their lives. Will you bless them and keep them? Will you make your face shine down upon them? Will you be gracious to them? Turn your countenance their direction and give them peace. In Jesus' name.